Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is John Register. John is an all-American uh, on the track. Um, he is a, uh, a Paralympic silver medalist, a decorated Army combat veteran, and highlight of highlights now <laughs> on the Beyond Speaking podcast, which I'm really sure is the top of the mountain oh. for you. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so John, thank you so much for joining us here. I know you're crazy busy, so I'm glad you're able to fit in some time and join us. No, I'm, I'm glad that you, you've invited me in, but I'm so, so excited to talk to your audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you have so many different things that you can talk about. It's, it's kind of hard to start out. So, but I know with you, you've got this story of, of you know, really uh, like on your way to the Olympics, you've already been in the military and, and decorated there and you are training for the Olympics and you're running the hurdles. What happens? So on May 17th uh, of 1994, I was, I was preparing for my third Olympic trials. I'm on that trajectory of making the team. The great Edwin Moses said, you know what? You're on my same trajectory path. USA Track and Field News has pegged me to be the one to watch for the games that year. And I'm on my way to Officer Candidate School. I've been boarded before of board of directors. And I go across the third hurdle in a training session. I land awkwardly. I dislocate my left knee. I sever the artery behind the kneecap. And seven days later, I become an amputee. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's the most people are asking what was going through your mind. I said, well, pain first, <laughs> because really the pain that spoke first um, for the amputation. And I said, if I just get rid of this this leg, I'll get rid of my pain. And what happened was after the amputation happened, and I wake up from the injury or from the amputation, I'm in more pain than I had realized. So I I didn't realize about phantom pain and all these things were just hitting me like gangbusters. And on my kind of my worst day, well, not the worst day, but the, one of the really bad days, uh, as I was kind of going down a downward spiral, my wife, uh, who, uh, you know, God bless her, uh, I was struggling because I saw a lot of uh, military service members come back from theater from the Gulf War, and their families just broke up because the trauma was too great for the family to bear. And I thought that she might leave. Mm. And that really shook me to my core. But it really wasn't about her, that was about more about me. But she stopped me by saying, you know what, John, we're gonna get through this together. It's just our new normal. And I really took those words and began to shift my mindset around how I could take all the things that, that led, me, led me up to this moment to infuse into my life to begin to, is there, is there a different path I can, I can go here? Knowing that it's gonna get worse before it gets better, can I still go down this this path? Can I elevate um, myself and therefore afterwards kind of elevate you know humanity around it? Mm -hmm. And I interned my service in the military. I started working for the military in the world-class athlete program, which I was a member of, helping other athletes achieve their dreams. And I swam for physical therapy. Mm -hmm. um, got so fast in the water, somehow fluked up, messed up, and made the Paralympic <laughs> swim team for uh -huh. athletes with disabilities. I had no idea that this, these games even existed. Saw athletes running and jumping on the track, wound up uh, saying, I gotta get one of those legs made for running. Yeah. Returned to track, and four years later, won the silver medal in the long jump in Sydney, Australia. Wow. And I think that tells us a lot about, you know, when some type of trauma hits us in our life, what 
are the parallel paths that we, that are already in existence for us right now mm-hmm. that we've been blind to see. They've been in our blind spots and they need to be uncovered. And if you're on the train tracks, right, sometimes you got to get off in the siding, pick up some more cars and get back on the, the main the main rail again. Yeah. And that's the, I think, how we we begin that process of, of look, changing our, our mindset around things. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you think, uh, you know, you're, with your wife, Alice, I love that, that you, you know, she comes alongside and just matter of fact, like, well, we'll, right. we'll get through this. Um, what was kind of the next day type of thing? So obviously you, you go with this idea of I want to change the world. What's kind of your next day? The bad thing happens or, you know, in this case, you had a couple of them because obviously you had the accident, mm-hmm. then you had the amputation. What was kind of the, those first, you know, items that you went through to to start on that long path to making yeah. a difference in the world? So when we have made a commitment to something, and so the commitment was to the amputation, because it was my choice to have the amputation, now you've done it, I don't get that back, so that's when you know you made a commitment, you can't turn back on it. But that's really hard on the other side, mm-hmm. because now you have old thoughts in your head, but you can't use those old thoughts to advance forward. And the first thing I did, I remember clearly, was not thinking about I'm gonna make the Paralympic team. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. It was to stand up on my good leg for 15 seconds and then sit back down. Okay, can I stand up for a minute and sit back down? Can I get out of the, how do I get out of the bed into a wheelchair and wheel myself to a prosthetic appointment? How do I put on this artificial leg? How do I walk between the parallel bars? How do I then use, go to four bar walker around the hospital? Mm-hmm. So day by day increments, we're beginning to win. Mm-hmm. And you celebrate the win, and the next day you push it just a little bit further again. But I think it really comes down to that, you know, that that mindset. I call it the new normal mindset. Yeah. Um, and before I kind of unpack what that means, uh, because I think most people are jaded with the term the new normal these days because yeah. you've been overused. You were, you were new normal before new normal. way new normal. <laughs> but I don't use it in the same way as most people, and I'll come back and explain that. The The... Everybody goes through, I think, that the, the real dark moment. And most people think that I overcame the amputation of my left leg. Well, if I overcame the amputation of my left leg, I'd have my leg back. Yeah. <laughs> it's not there, right? Yeah. So, But we think that the things we overcome is actually what we overcame. It's really the mindset of how we actually are moving forward. And I can recall on June 17th, 1994, at 5 o'clock in the evening when I was in the worst pain of my life, there was an event that was going on in the United States of America. And we're all watching it. We're all glued to the television. You think you know what that? This is May 17, nineteen. This is June 17th. Oh, June 17th yeah. of 90. Of 94. 94. I'm trying but to think of what that was. This is California. And a white Bronco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, uh, I was getting ready to graduate, so I'm not sure. <laughs> no, my wife, it went by my wife's house. So she was one. Wow, but yeah, wow. OJ then, right? OJ. Yeah. So there, and the, all the reporters are talking about this suicide note that he's got. It looks like a suicide note. We don't know what's going on. We always see this police. They called it chase. It was more like a follow. Yeah. And they were going down <laughs> this freeway. And as they read this note, I began thinking, as in the worst pain I was in my life ever, ever been, um, I said, I don't care how bad this thing gets, I'm not checking out. Mm. And I, it got worse. It got worse than it was. But that was a decision of the mind that said, we're, we're going in this direction. And I think when we unpack with the new normal mindset, the reason people get so jaded with terms and overuse these terms is because we, we don't have, we, they're, they're not powerful for us. Mm-hmm. And so we hear things like, I just wish things would get back to normal. Well, my leg's gone, it's not, that's not happening. Yeah. 
when COVID hit, not, it's not happening. When we have a political election, not, not happening. We're, we're, it's moved forward, so you got to move with that. And the normal is the everyday typical occurrence of a thought or an action. So what are the rituals we have in place to lead us to a rhythm that create the, 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 um, the, the nuances that we need to, to create this direct results that we're looking for? So new is no prior point of reference. So why are we using the old system to put into a new bucket to get a different output? Mm-hmm. It's definition of insanity. Yeah. And normal then it helps us to understand there's a framing that we can do with it. So the normal mindset, the mindset then becomes, you take the Olympic model, city is altius fortius, swifter, higher, stronger. Latin words, which means, you know, swift, higher, strong. They're not written in the superlative of the word. It's not swiftest, highest, or strongest. Mm-hmm. They're written with an ER stem ending. So it means we can be the swiftest today, swifter tomorrow. So as long as we have that ER stem ending, we can always see what's, what's next. So it's a growth mindset. It's not a destination, but a plateau by which we grow. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing I began unearthing and unpacking and begin to try to pack is, is there a pathway that we can help other people with this? How do you think that develops into... Resilience. I know you talk a lot mm-hmm. about resilience. Uh, you know, where, how does somebody develop that? So I think the, 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 what happens is looking at those, is going back and looking over your life and saying, I've never done this before. Well, yes, you have. But you've probably done it at a very micro level. Um, somebody talked about sales the other day, right? And, and said, and, and I was thinking, yeah, that sales is this stuff is just hard. You do it all the time. <laughs> you know, you're easy with this. Yeah, pick up the phone, bam, you go. Yeah. But... I, I went back to the entrepreneur days of me selling lemonade on the corner. Mm-hmm. And then a person coming down on the L, I was living in Chicago, coming down the street and down the block, and, um, and I, was, I was losing money one day. Like, I don't know, how come I'm not getting that much money? And this guy that used to always freaking my stand off the L train, he said, you got a competitor up the street that's selling lemonade at huh. your price, but they're getting to him faster. Uh. So, oh, market. <laughs> so I took my little red flat. No, he gave me advice. He said, "What you should do, go to the train station and you get them going both ways." Yeah. I said, "Ah." <laughs> so then I, I did. I took his advice and I did that. Right. So now I'm crushing in sales. Right. I can't. I can't yeah. keep enough of this stuff. And that began t- teaching me that there's always different ways to begin to position yourself and. But if I don't remember that, I don't recall it, because mm-hmm. I often may not, I may just get to that moment of, of yesterday and say, I can't, I can't do sales. Yeah. So that's the, I think that's, it's incremental to how we, how we do that. So, so there you have that lemonade uh, mentor there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Who, who are some of your other mentors that you've had that have helped you develop you know, who you are? I think, uh, too, my, my dad, uh-huh. uh, and, and my mom just passed, but uh, definitely her. But my dad and my uncle were really two stalwarts. My, uh, my, I saw my uncle first. His uncle, um, uh, his name is Gloucester Current. He's uh, actually his son lives here in, 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 uh, in Nashville. Um, and he was, when you look at the, in, in, in the March on Washington, mm-hmm. he was in charge of all the platform speakers on that day. Oh, wow. He put that whole program together. And at the table for Thanksgiving, I didn't. I don't remember all of this stuff, but I remember that in Detroit when we went to Thanksgiving, he said that we were not allowed to speak at the table unless we could argue the other side of an argument that was there. Hmm. So we could. We we had to be able to to dissect both sides of an argument. Yeah. And that was a, a, a kind of a brain game that you have to do to take another person's position. And without really realizing it, he was helping me open my aperture up 
for different opinions and different points of view and see if I can walk in somebody else's shoes when I'm, you know, seven, eight years, eight years old. Yeah. My dad was jailed in, uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi for voter, voters' rights, mm. along with, he was a clergy, he was a Presbyterian minister. And um, so, you know, white, black, different colors, shades are going down fighting for voter, voter, voters' rights from the, our, our, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments and of our Constitution. And, um, and what I saw, I didn't understand the impact of it then. Of course, number one, I wasn't born. But two, <laughs> uh, when I did get it, I didn't understand because my brain just didn't, it wasn't back there. It wasn't in, I was in this moment up here. When I graduated from college, I was kind of rummaging through some of his desk stuff and I was kind of trying to find a pencil or pen. I saw an article of this event that had happened down in Mississippi. And then there was juxtaposed next to uh, another kind of not a plaque but like a like a proclamation almost uh, from the work. So he's jailed down there. He's jailed, separated of course because segregation is separated for a period of time. I think nine, ten days, or whatever. Um, and the judge that put him in there has since now, I think, passed away. Hmm. And replacing that judge became an African American woman, and she had found his record and wanted to know if he wanted expunged. For oh, that. Wow. That's in the same house, same comment. He said, no, don't <laughs> take my record away. That proves I was in the fight. Yeah. Right. I'm like, dang, that is just like hardcore. Yeah. Uh, and so these people that align with their values and do what they say they're going to do are people I'm, I'm, I'm automatically drawn to with that. Mm-hmm. And so I have, a, I have some great shoulders to stand on yeah. uh, because of that. And so I will lead the hard conversations, but I'm not going to attack you. I, I do want to hear your side, mm-hmm. and I want to see have we done the work. Yeah. And uh, you know, story. I'm a speaker. I'm telling you. <laughs> so it comes to the point, you know, even in when people say thank you for your service. So I'm like, well, nowadays I used to say, okay, yeah, fine. Um, but what are you thanking me for? Mm-hmm. What are you really thanking me for? So well, it's because you you, you served in combat. It's because you. Um, have protected our freedoms and things. I said, yeah, but those are actually byproducts of why you should be thanking me for my service. Because when I swore the oath, it was to protect the United States Constitution mm-hmm. against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. When I got out of the military, no one ever unoathed me. <laughs> sure. Right? So now the next question I ask is, so when's the next, last time you read the Constitution? Mm-hmm. Do you know what Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, Article 4 says? So the most important article is Article number 5. And like, because they haven't even read it, right? So, yeah, yeah. so you got all this fighting going back and forth, left versus right, and all this stuff, and you haven't even read the doggone document. Yeah. And the preamble. You can go to Schoolhouse Rock and go get that one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I mean by doing the work. Don't let somebody else tell you, go read it. Yeah. And the reason why Article 5, you know, when you have the first one, first article on the legislative branch, second article on the executive branch, third, third one on the, the, on the, on the, on the, on the judicial. Uh, judicial branch, can't remember number four, but number five says, <laughs> <laughs> is that here's how you amend it. Here's how, we, we're not going to get it all right, and can we stretch our democracy to embrace those that are different than us? Mm-hmm. Here's how you amend it. And I think that's the most critical piece. Are we there yet? Or are we still striving to form a more perfect union? Mm-hmm. So that's how I begin to help audiences. And I won't do the work for them. I begin to pull it 
from them to let them do their own work. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're, you're, you know, just like with the Olympic, you know, it's the ER. It's like how to get, not perfecter, but, you know. Right, yeah, right. yeah <laughs> you that's know, a good word. We'll trying, to, trying to get there. So, yeah, no, I love that. And I love the idea of, of always trying to see the other person's mm-hmm. uh, point of view. I, I was a political science major, and we had to do that. So yeah, you had yeah. to go, he would figure out what you were for, and you had to write your paper the other way. The other way. So, you know, so I, I love that. Um, and, and I know you have a background in strategic communications too. Mm. Does that help you in that in that background as well? Yeah, it, I mean it does. I mean you can pull some theories or, or things like that. But I think what I found is that the practical, you know, the ap- practical application of lived experience, mm-hmm. you can't argue against that, right? Yeah. Because it's your experience, no matter where it's where it's come from. So if you haven't lived my experience, then how do you know my experience? And if you say, well, I don't, um, I reject that then you're not really seeing me for yeah. fully of, of who I am. So I just took, uh, for example, um, I just took, I have a lot of theories about things, yeah. but I don't know if they really work in real life or not as far as like being executive or CEO. So yeah. I just took an interim CEO role for the Amputee Coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm seeing, does all that stuff I've been saying actually really work? Yeah. And I'm seeing what does and what may, yeah, I need to tweak that a little bit. Yeah. But the premise becomes, when I talk, at least bring back to the new normal mindset, is to build trust on that team and to change that mindset. Well, to change the mindset, you have to build the trust on the team. I'm not a trust speaker at all. You know, mm-hmm. I get some other folks for that. But the, the, the issue has become when, when our truth outweighs the fear, we'll commit to a courageous life. Mm-hmm. We'll commit to courageous acts. And the, the, the challenge is most of us, not I won't say most of them will kind of qualify that, but when we don't do this, it is because of prob- probably two reasons. We have friends or associates or people that are close to us that believe for us what we can or cannot do, which is based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in your situation. Mm-hmm. And because they're, uh, we value them so much and we want to belong to that group, we will stay with that group even though we think we should go a different direction. Hmm. Or we have society. What a society advocated to us that how we must show up. And if society says this might go against that, will I be ostracized? Because Mas, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says we have uh, food, shelter, clothing, belong, uh, food, shelter, and clothing, but underneath that is all is belonging. We want to belong. We want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult for me to break away from that. Yeah. And the second one is, no matter how much my coach trained me in the hurdles, all the tools he gave me, uh, he never ran a race for me. So yeah. it's my responsibility to attack that hurdle. There's no book on that. You got to do it. Yeah. You got all the books on these shelves right here. You can, they, they can guide you, but you have to attack the hurdle. And that's scary. But I'm gonna I'm gonna live in that work because I know once you do it, you're gonna explode on the other side. You're gonna you're gonna it's you're gonna have the best decision that you have ever made. You know, no matter which way you decide to go. Yeah, and I, I love just hearing how you've kind of developed that from from you and Alice sitting there and saying, okay, we're in this terrible situation right. one weekend, and we want to go and change the world, and you know have this you know big big voice and you ended up being on Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice's what eight person committee yeah, on yeah. for for amputees is it veteran amputees and well or is it parallel or uh, but you know having that voice you know what was yeah. that like being on that having that platform it was fascinating you know um, <laughs> a lot of um, what do you call it uh, 
the what's the complex the, the imposter syndrome right <laughs> yeah imposter <laughs> like, yes what the heck is the sports guy doing on this yeah <laughs> you know? yeah but it was a committee that actually Colin Pollitt started okay and he when he left as Secretary of State then Condoleezza Rice comes in and so she kept the work going mm-hmm. and it worked through Secretary Clinton and this then I then I think it disbanded but then I went back under Pompeo mm-hmm. to talk about leadership right before the pandemic when all yeah. the our ambassadors in charge of affairs were freaking out because of COVID was hitting their shores hard. Yeah. And we're like, what's this COVID thing going on here? Yeah, yeah. So you've seen it from that different lens. But what it was like is understanding that I, you know, and, and I'll go back because I just didn't go into like, I'm going to be this big guy. It was, a pro, it was a gradual process of understanding how I could show up. And I had to go back and underneath that and just say, oh, you're, you're just here to serve. You're, you're here to serve. And the community was the disability community. Uh, which I was learning about. I didn't know about this community, mm-hmm. but I wanted. To, I saw that if I had been a person with an amputated leg, probably the things I went through, Arkansas and all those things, it doesn't happen mm-hmm. because people are more often excluded than invited into the conversation. So I wanted to really cause impact and change on that. I just didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I was invited for this uh, committee, I had no idea how my name got there or anything, but all of a sudden, you're in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, right? <laughs> And it was fascinating to meet all these amazing leaders that were there and just sit and be quiet and just listen to what these years of experience had taught them. And I could glean that and take that in and bring it back into the United States Olympic Committee and Paralympic Committee to help build that Paralympic military sport program, which then turned into Warrior Games and then turns into Prince Harry's Invictus Games. And now the big coup de grace, if I can get it done. Um, is to have an Iraqi that's blown up an American, an American that's blown up an Iraqi, being on the battlefield of sport and like mm. a SISM competition. I got yeah. six countries together, uh, not I personally, but you know I was on a committee to get six countries together in Germany, and uh, that's the big that's the big kind of thing. If I can get that one done, I'll be wow. Gonna, when, <laughs> what's the goal for that? Like how many uh, like how many countries do you need, or or what do you need to get it done? I would love th- those two, but the the cha- here's a challenge. The biggest challenge is most people do not, most countries do not track their veteran population. Mm. So we don't know where they are. Yeah. And uh, there are other groups out there and they can do, they do these Kilimanjaro hikes and all this other stuff and, and people will sign on to that, but most countries do not track their veteran population. So it's really hard to find them once they get out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, last question here. Um, you know, when you have audiences, when you have people hear you, what what's the thing or, or one of the things you hear the most from people about what they change after hearing your talk? There, there are several things that folks will, will change. Most of the time in the moment, it's you've, you've helped me think about this differently. Mm-hmm. Where I hear, because it's a processing talk, right? Because people go out of the room and they're like, dang, man, I gotta, and they start working things out. And I give them some tools and everything for that. But what I don't measure it in that moment, because that's, that might be for the conference meeting professional things. How I measure that moment are in echo moments. So ripples go out from us from a, a, a presentation, a conversation, any one of your speakers that you put out. But the echoes come back. And it might not be from that presentation. It could be somebody else sharing from a different uh, aspect. I was just in another location and um, uh, a woman came up to me after the presentation and she said, I had to get to your presentation. So, okay, tell me a little about yourself. And, she said, I was, a, I was a ballerina and um, I was doing a twirl or something, whatever. I broke both of my legs. Hmm. 
And for the next two years, I was using a wheelchair to get around. And I thought life was just done. But I saw you swim. <laughs> I'm like, you saw me swim? I mean, where did, I don't have any video of me swimming. Where did you find this video of me swimming? And uh, she said, but that video, when I saw that and I saw your words attached to it, I said, I'm going to start swimming. And I, then I got up and I started, I, and it's, it, it, the long story short, she went to college swimming. I don't know if she was on a scholarship or whatever, but she went to college swimming and changed her whole pathway. She saw a, dip, a parallel path yeah. that I was able to see through Paralympics. And somehow because of that swim thing that I was doing in Paralympics, she saw it and it changed her life. She said, I just got to come up and say, you shifted my life. That's an echo moment that comes back to it. Had no contact with her previously. And I think that's how we should begin to measure from the inspirational speaker side, side of the house, our successes. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your stories here on the Beyond Speaking podcast. For those watching, listening, make sure to subscribe and comment. And John, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, we really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.